Well, Merry Christmas. It's great to be gathered together. We're thankful that each one of you are here. If you didn't already know, this is a family service, and so there are people of all ages, from the youngest to the oldest. That is right. Amen. We are glad that the kids are here. Now, some of you parents, I know I'm a parent. Sometimes you can get tense in these moments. Like, is my kid going to run up there on stage? Is he going to say something at the wrong moment? What's going to happen? I don't know what you did uh, to parent your children ahead of time. I actually paid my kids tonight. I said, you be on your best behavior. I give them money. I give them real money uh, to do that. So and some of you feel tense. Understand that. Just know that I have kids. If they do run up here, like happened in the first service, uh, I'm totally fine with that. It's great. And I love their voices. Just think about we're celebrating the birth of a baby. And we hear these young voices, just a reminder of the one that we have come to worship tonight. And then also the future of our church. And we think about the actual ones that are making those noises. And then kids, I want to say to you uh, that I know that it's hard. I've been a kid too. It's hard to sit still for a long time. Uh, it's hard not to make noise. You've got a, the wiggles. You want to get the wiggles out. And also you probably want to yell. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to yell at the top of your voice here in just a second. I'm going to just ask you if you're excited about Christmas, and if you're excited about Christmas, you just yell, yes, you know, Christmas, whatever word you want to say at that moment. If you're not excited about Christmas, just yell, bah humbug, okay? So I'm going to ask the question. This is your opportunity, kids. Ready? Are you excited about Christmas? All right. Great to hear your voices, and hopefully that was the case over in Theater 14 as well in the video venue. We're glad that you're here tonight, and it's a very exciting time, Christmas is, and it's a time where we make a lot of memories. Uh, There's different stuff that happens with family and friends, and we do things as a church family. Every year as a church family, one of the things we've done in the history of our church is we've always had a special sermon series that goes with the Christmas time period. And so we've done everything from a revolutionary Christmas, traditional Christmas, and this year we did a series called Tis the Season. And you hear that statement all the time. For different things. Somebody will say something, they're eating something, they're getting together with family, they're going to a certain place, tis the season, tis the season. And so we told our congregation that you should snap pictures of stuff when you think of the phrase, tis the season. And we had a contest where people put pictures on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and they hashtagged it with tis the season SBF. And we told our church that we would announce some winners on Christmas Eve of the contest. And so I get the privilege of announcing the winners tonight of the contest that we did. And so listen up, because we do have prizes. I'll tell you the prizes at the end. Um, we have some winning photos for the very first entry, the first person to get an entry on social media as far as our records and all the calculations that were done by those who were researching these things was by Drea Shaver. And so they won with the first entry. We got their two little kids there and their little Christmas tree right there. Oh, isn't that sweet? Hmm. And then we got the next one which wins under the category of most realistic Christmas picture. And it's for Tom and Caddy McFaith. There we are, the McFadders. And see, isn't that how it really happens? See, people put these pictures on Facebook, and all their kids are smiling and look happy. You know that they're, like, poking them in the ribs. Like, it's just, that's not what happened. That's what really happens. So they won for the category of most realistic. Best family photo goes to one of our ushers, Fred Schmidt, and his family. And let that one sink in for a minute, because let me explain to you who's in this picture. That's Fred reading the story there. Those are his two daughters. That's his son-in-law leaning on his shoulder. So it's nice to know kind of how they roll, right? He tucks Mikey in every night, I'm sure, before they, they go to bed. And so they won best family photo. The next one is the one that is most offensive to me personally. It is the most ridiculous category. <laughs> that is true. I did dress like Cousin Eddie one Sunday, so what am I going to do? 
And uh, that is Caden Moore. He's in our youth ministry, the SYU student ministry, one of our teenagers who a little help with Photoshop. His dad snapped a picture of me out front one Sunday. Didn't realize it was undercover covert work that was happening there. And uh, then that popped up on social media. And then in the last category, we have most creative. And now you guys got really creative. There were a lot of people that had different things. But there was a video that one lady at our church, Temple Overton, actually did. And we're going to play the video for you. You can go to our Facebook page tonight when you get home if you'd like to and see that video. It's got different staff members dancing to a Christmas song, a jib-jab video that you can see on there. Now, if I just announced to you, Caden, Temple, different folks, French Mitt, uh, that you won in one of those categories, we really do have real prizes for you. And so when you're leaving tonight, there's a table out in the lobby. There's a young lady there named Carrie. Carrie oversees all of our social media and communication stuff. And she knows who you are because she's been to your social media page. And so if you just go there and say, hey, I'm Fred or I'm Temple, and uh, she's got a gift bag for you, some Southbridge t-shirts that we like to give you, just a way to, to celebrate uh, Tis the Season together. And tonight, the message I have for you goes along with that theme as well. Tis the season. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. Let me pray for us. And then we read from the passage of Matthew chapter two that Pastor Jason uh, read from at the very beginning of the service already. So let's pray. And then I'll, I'll share with you what I believe the Lord has for us tonight. Let me pray. Father, thank you that uh, we get to be together. Thank you for the little ones that are here. Uh, thank you for the oldest person that will be here tonight. And I pray for each one of our hearts that we would respond to you, respond to you in worship, respond to you by receiving you as Savior for those who are lost in their sins, respond to you um, just realizing what you've done for us by sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Like I said, we've been doing this series called Tis the Season. And so far on Sunday mornings, we've done messages, Tis the Season for Anticipation the first week. We did Tis the Season to pursue God's peace. Tis the Season for God's presence, to celebrate God's presence, to be in God's presence, and for His presence to make a difference in our lives. And tonight we're going to talk about Tis the Season to Respond. As you think about life, life is full of responses. There are all kinds of things that happen. Good things, bad things. But those moments are really defined, not just by what happens, but by how we respond to what happens. And sometimes things happen, and you wouldn't even expect it to happen. It's just a surprise. In fact, some of your greatest memories may be surprises that took place. Some of the worst things that happened in your life may be of things that were totally unexpected. And I think about a month ago it was, um, I was just going through a normal day at the office. We had Sunday morning, uh, church, and then the next day is Monday. I feel kind of zonked on Mondays. Come into the office. One of the first things we do is staff meeting. I remember staff meeting had just gotten over with on Monday morning. And I was over at Pastor Jason's office. We were just chit-chatting about life and talking about different things. And then Stephanie, one of the ministry assistants at our church, she came running in and she said, Scott, Shanna, which is my wife's name, Shanna just called. She was crying. She said, she needs you to come home. Something went, something's bad. And I didn't have my cell phone on me. I left it back in my office. I went back there. I had missed a bunch of phone calls from her. I had some text messages from her and I called her right away and I wanted to see what was going on. Now, at our house, for those of you who don't know, I've got four daughters, uh, three, five, seven, and nine years old. So it's basically a circus at our house. My wife was cleaning the bathroom. She had a little bit of bleach out, and the circus was taking place. The circus requires referees every once in a while, in case you don't have kids or it's been a long time, um, or maybe the, your kids were just perfect. But our kids aren't. And so my wife had to go referee some stuff that was happening with the four kids. While she's doing that, it, I imagine what the scene was like. I wasn't there. It reminds me of like a TV show, like the Cosby show or something. Then the dog comes trotting in, starts licking the bleach out of the bowl she had where she was cleaning the, the bathroom. Then obviously starts acting strange and runs underneath the bed, they think, to die. So when I call, that's the report that I get. People are crying. It's terrible. I get in my car. I'm headed back home to be part of what's happening here. And God's so gracious. In that moment on the way home, 
He let me know that how you respond here is going to be crucial. And he, so here's how he was gracious. He reminded me of a conversation that we had had with some friends of ours who had a dog die when they were kids. And what they ended up finding out happened was that dad took the dog out into the backyard and to finish the thing off, he shot the dog. Now, I thought our dog was dying. Let me be honest with you about what my thoughts were. Oh, brother, this is going to be expensive. Because as soon as you go to the vet, like they're charging you money. You're like on the clock once you walk in the door, right? And so I'm like, I don't want to go to the vet. I don't want to do that. It'd be a lot easier just to go finish that thing. Now, I love our dog, okay? I'm the one who wanted us to get the dog. I, I love dogs, and I, wanted, I love our dog, but I don't want to spend the money. And so what ended up happening was uh, by the time I got home, I thought, all right, if the dog's in bad shape, you're going to the vet. It doesn't matter if the dog's going to die, if the dog's not going to die, you're going to take the dog to the vet. So I get home. I'm not sure if it was drama or trauma that was taking place, but there was a lot of hair flying around. But everybody's face was red. People were bawling. It was, you know, it was like weeping wall. You know, they were just, it was terrible. And so I get to, they point me to mom. Mom's out on the back deck. She's got the dog wrapped up, like mummified in this blanket. He's all wet. He's shaking. So it's bad news. So I'm obviously going to the vet. I grab the dog, grab my oldest daughter so she can vouch for me that I didn't finish it off. And uh, we, we head to the vet. We get there. Walk in the door, so you're spending money. And about 15 minutes later, the dog's prancing around, his tail's wagging, and he wants a treat. But I still had to pay. <laughs> but I wasn't going to be that dad who our dog's traumatized, our dog died, whatever, had dad finished it off out in the backyard, whatever. Th- I wasn't going to be that guy because my friends that told us that story, they're in their 30s. <laughs> so I didn't want our kids to be going to counseling sessions later because of how I responded. Because responses are key. And think about Christmas. Christmas is a time to respond. All the responses that will happen tomorrow as people open presents, there'll be smiles, there'll be some that are maybe disappointed, there'll be different times and you know, food that will happen, some will be good, some will say it's good, whatever happened, you know, there'll be different responses. I was talking to my wife even as we getting ready for the service tonight, and we were talking about, I said, wasn't our first kiss about Christmas time? And I was remembering the first time that I kissed her, she kissed me back. <laughs> that was awesome. That's the right response, by the way. And it went well. But if you think about the Christmas story, we'll talk about baby in a manger, and we'll talk about joy to the world, and we'll talk about all the sweet story of the stable and this young couple and all those things, but it's really a story of response, of God's response to our problem, God's response to our plight, that we were separated from God because of our sin. You'll give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins, and what God's doing is responding to our greatest need. And sending us his son, Jesus Christ, a savior. And the question for us is, how will we respond? And so tonight I just want to ask you one question as we read through Matthew chapter 2 again. And the question is this, how will you respond to the arrival of Jesus Christ? I didn't ask, how have you responded? By the way, some of you placed your faith in Jesus. Oh, I got that covered. No. How will you respond tonight to the arrival of Jesus Christ? We see three different responses in the scripture in the passage we're going to look at tonight in Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. Matthew, the first book in the New Testament of the Gospels, the life and story of Jesus Christ. The story that we're reading in Matthew chapter 2 happens about two years after the birth of Jesus. So we're not at the nativity scene. We're not at a place where there's animals in a manger. But what we see are the responses of different people. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. After Jesus was born, so after he was born, in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. So Herod was the king of the Jews. Magi, some people know them as wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem, Jewish capital, and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? That word born is key there. So if you have a Bible, you might want to underline that. 
Because if they had just asked the question, where is the king of the Jews? They would have been taken right away to Herod. He's the king of the Jews. But instead they asked the question, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And then they say, we saw his star in the east, so the star's been guiding them, and we've come to worship him. There's one response. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. There's another response. And all, the, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, these are people who were paid to study the Bible. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. So interesting that Herod himself, it didn't, they didn't say, where's the Christ? They said, where's the one born king of the Jews? And they equated, Herod equated the one born king of the Jews as the Christ. That means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who's come to deal with our sin. Where is the Christ to be born? Easy question for people who study the Bible all the time. They knew Micah 5, 2. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. It's been said for hundreds of years. We already know that. And so they answer, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. This is Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. <laughs> Liar. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He's going to reject Jesus. And we know that's true because if you continue to read through this passage further than we've read tonight, but down in verse 16, it says this, After the Magi go worship Jesus, it says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted, outsmarted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so one of the responses we see, the first response we see in our passage of scriptures, we talk about tis the season to respond and ask ourselves how we'll respond to Jesus. The first of the three responses is a response of rejection. Some people, that's how they respond to Jesus. That's how some people that are here today even respond to Jesus is rejection. See, the issue wasn't that Herod believed that a baby was born. It's not even that he believed that a baby was born that was God's son. It wasn't that he believed even that the son would eventually die on the cross and raise from the dead. That wasn't the issue. He still reject. He could know all the facts, believe all the facts, and reject Jesus Christ in his own personal life. The question is why? Why would Herod be threatened by a two-year-old child? And the reason is the same reason why most of us reject Jesus Christ is because he knows that that child would end up being someone that would change his life. And Herod didn't want his life changed. You see, Herod, he's called king of the Jews. He's not even fully Jewish. The Jews don't actually like him. Uh, he, was say, he would say, um, when he'd give speeches or he'd talk about his inauguration of becoming the king of the Jews, he'd say he became the king of the Jews by God's will. But history tells us what he actually did is he massacred thousands of Jews. Jews hated him. They were afraid to say anything about it because then he would kill them. And so that's how he ruled. That was the kind of king that he was. And his boss was a guy named Caesar Augustus. If you've ever heard that name before, maybe it's from reading Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, it says that there, in, that, in that day, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the whole known world, the Roman world at that time, and all human population was that. So we're going to count all these people up. Who's that guy? Well, that's Herod's boss, and so Herod goes around trying to keep his boss happy, like most people do, most employees do, and he would build things and name them after Caesar. And he would name towns, Caesarea, after Caesar. And so his whole life was spent trying to keep Caesar happy. Caesar is the son of Julius Caesar. 
If you don't know who Julius Caesar is, maybe from high school history class or whatever, Julius Caesar is a guy who was the first person of the Caesars that considered himself deified or a god, a man who became god. And the way he symbolized and the way he, he proved that he was deity was that during one of the games he was hosting, a comet went flying through the sky, a star. That was the symbol of his deity. And then his son is Caesar Augustus, and so he called himself the son of God. Caesar Augustus did. He was the first of the Caesars to be given the title Augustus, which means holy one, revered one. It was a title that was only used in Rome of gods, false gods, fake gods, little gods, um, at that time. And so here you have a man who became God named Caesar Augustus. And the way he rules is by power and by hurting people. And then Herod is underneath him. And so Herod knows that there's this wise men that have come into town. They're following a star. And they're looking for the savior of the world. The Son of God. See the parallels? The difference and the significant difference is that Jesus Christ was not a man who became God. He was God who became man. And the reason why Herod didn't want to follow him, the reason why Herod rejected him is because he knew that if he followed Jesus, it would cost him his kingdom. He'd no longer be king because the king of kings would rule in his life and over his heart and over everything he had. It's the same reason why most of us reject Jesus. People give different reasons for rejecting Jesus. Some people say, I don't want to follow Jesus because there's hypocrites in the church. To that I'd say, that is true. There are hypocrites in the church. You know why? Because the church is for sinners. And with a bunch of messed up people in the same place, it's going to be a messed up place. But God brings healing and he brings forgiveness for those sinners. And that's who we are as a group of people that gather together like that. Some people say they don't want to follow God because God allows bad things to happen. Well, you know what God does is he allows us to make decisions. And we make a lot of bad decisions and we mess this place up. And some people say they don't want to follow God because they had some bad experience at church. You know what God does? God brings healing into those experiences. He redeems and he reconciles. It's the work that he does. And the reality behind all those reasons that we give, and there are many others, is the real reason why most people reject Jesus Christ isn't because they don't believe the facts. It's not because of some bad experience at church. It's because they don't want to relinquish control of their lives. Because if he truly is the king of kings, guess what? He's going to want to be king of your life. I remember when somebody first shared that story with me about Jesus. I didn't grow up going to church. I was about 18 years old. A man sat down with me and started to tell me about how Jesus was born into this world as God who became man, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, then died on the cross to pay for my sins. Which sounds great because forgiveness is offered, but then when I came to the realization that he's going to want to rule over my life, I said, no way, I can't follow Jesus. Now, I was at a place in life where I had been partying, doing drugs, and all the stuff that was involved with all that, and I knew that life wasn't going the way that I wanted it to go, and the things I was thinking were going to bring satisfaction weren't bringing satisfaction, and there had to be something more, or life was meaningless, but when he offered me Jesus Christ, I rejected Christ because I didn't want to relinquish control. I didn't want someone else calling the shots. That's one response, is to reject Christ. That's the one that Herod has here. But there is another response. It's to receive Jesus Christ. It's what we see the magi, the wise men, seem to be on a journey to do as they will bow their knee before Jesus. We'll read in verses 9 through 11 in just a minute. But what do you think it was like for the wise men to come into a town full of Jews as Gentiles, the wise men are Gentiles, and see the Jews not receive their king? Where's the one that's been born king of the Jews? It happened two years ago. You guys should be celebrating this. And they're disturbed. Did you also notice the guys who are called the chief priests, the teachers of the law? These are guys who study the Bible all the time. How quickly they knew the right answers from the Bible. Did they go look for Jesus? It doesn't appear so. 
So these religious people even aren't celebrating the birth of the one that would be the much anticipated one, the anointed one, the Messiah. Why is that? Don't we see that all the time in church? People that know the answers, but it's like it hasn't clicked in their heart. See, Jesus didn't come to save religious people. And he didn't come to make people religious. Let that sink in. He didn't come to save the righteous. And he didn't come to make us religious. Jesus came to save sinners. He was the gift, like Pastor Jad said when he quoted probably the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus as a gift, his one and only son. But not everyone benefits from that. It's that whoever believes in him, places their trust in him, places their faith in him, shall not perish in hell, separated from God forever, but have eternal life, be brought into relationship with him. He is the gift. He's the perfect gift. Talk about this being a season to respond. Think about tomorrow. We're going to give some gifts. Some of you maybe even already gave some gifts. Maybe you'll give some gifts after the service is over. It depends on what your traditions are. And hopefully you'll give a gift and you'll get the right response, right? Somebody will smile. They'll be happy. They'll feel like you thought of them. And, and I, we try to do that at our house. I already bombed with my wife. By the way, she's not in the service. But I, I gave her um, a, a gift already. And when, you're, when you get the response, so did you keep your receipt? <laughs> you know that didn't go well. She's already planning her next shopping trip, right? Like that's, that's not good. And so she didn't get a good gift from me. Already. That didn't go the way that I was hoping. Hopefully you get another gift, get another opportunity tomorrow. But you think about what's the worst gift you've ever been given? And some of you, maybe it pops right in your head. I've been given some bad gifts before. If you want an ugly tie, I've got a bunch of ugly ties in my closet that I can give you. If you there's some bad stuff out there, okay? And let me tell you what is a terrible, terrible, terrible Christmas gift. Fruitcake. What is that stuff? My mother-in-law told me she likes it. It's the only person I've ever had say that they like it. If you ever had somebody give you fruitcake, who, what is even in that thing? It's like, you know, jelly beans and... Gummy bears and Skittles and everything. Like somebody just threw it all together and somehow baked it. Like just a lot of butter. I don't know what butter's holding. I don't know. It's gross. I remember one year. One year I was thinking about this. Uh, one year I was uh, preaching. It was like this, our church is seven years old. It was like the second or third year of our church. And uh, I'm grateful anytime someone wants to give me a gift. Just the fact they thought of me. That, that's wonderful. So I don't mean to, to be disrespectful to that. But one year I was preaching. I remember the opener for the message was a top ten list of the worst gifts you could give someone. And I had pictures to go with it and everything. And I'm coming into the service and two people came up to me, independent of one another. I don't think they knew that. They certainly didn't know what I was about to say. And they both gave me a fruitcake that morning. In the top 10 list, one of the worst gifts I had on there was fruitcake. And so then I have a pastoral decision, right? Like the slides are already made. They've already got that at the tech booth. already turned all that in. I didn't want to go with the top nine list. It was a top ten list. And, but then I've got these two fruitcakes from people that go to my church. And they're trying to love their pastor. And it's totally nice and everything. I went for it. <laughs> Neither one of those two people are here tonight, nor do they go to our church anymore. Hey, maybe they're so passionate about fruitcake, they were mad. They were offended by me. But let me tell you something. From, if you like fruitcake, bless your heart. Bless your heart. I don't like fruitcake. That is not a good gift for me. That is not, the, the, I'd love that you'd think of me, but I don't, I don't, I'm not going to eat that thing, okay? If you like fruitcake, I bet you there's a bunch of people that could give them to you. Okay, I'll give them to my mother-in-law from now on. But I don't like, it's a bad gift for me. And what you show is you don't know me, you don't know what I need, you don't know what I'd want. But you see, the thing is with Jesus Christ, he's the perfect gift. He's exactly what we need. 
And even when we can't express it with words because we're going to other things, escape things, hobby things, achievement things, other people's opinions things, liquor things, some, some kind of expression, computer screen things, all that kind of stuff, Jesus is exactly what we want because he's the only one that will satisfy and the reason why God can give that perfect gift is because he knows us so well. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows everything that we've ever done in our lives. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. And so he gives us the perfect gift. And you know why? Because he knows we're sinners. Everyone here admits they're a sinner. It's not hard for me to get you to admit that you're a sinner if I just walk up to you and say, so are you perfect? Well, I'm not perfect, but I've never... No, no, the very fact that you just said that you're not perfect, that's enough. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. The Bible calls that sin. And here's what the Bible says about it. And Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we get as a result of our sin is death. But the gift, there's that word again, the gift of God is eternal life. And how does it come? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that baby was the response to our sin. And he became the man that would end up dying on the cross and rising from the dead and offering us life. But what we have to do with that gift, that perfect gift, is receive it. If I say to you, you know, I've got fruitcake after the service. Just got to come get it, or a $20 bill. Just got to come get it. I don't, have, I don't have any cash on me, and no one gave me a fruitcake tonight. But just example, if you're going to get the gift, the gift can be available. The gift can be offered. But if you don't take it, then you don't have the gift. You have to receive. And that's one of the responses to Jesus. And what we're going to do tonight in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about doing that. For some of you, that's what you need to do tonight. There's a third response, and I want to share that with you before we talk about receiving Jesus. The third response is the response that should happen, Lord willing, in the heart of every believer. In verses 9 through 11, we see the third response. And so after Herod had questioned the Magi, what happens is, after they had heard the king, and they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. And so the star apparently led them to Jerusalem, and then it went away. And now, by God's divine guidance, it appears again, and it led them until it stopped. Now, I'm not an astrologer, but I don't think stars stop very often. I don't know what we have here. Scholars debate. Is this supernova? Is it God's glory breaking into creation, hovering over this home? Something supernatural is happening. And God's guiding them, leading them. It stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, see, there's a house. This isn't a stable. Joseph and Mary apparently bought their first place. And they come into this house. So these wise men, they show up at a house. If you bought a nativity set that came with wise men, that's a bonus gift. They're not actually at the stable. They're at a house. And they saw the child with his mother, Mary. So it's a child, not a baby. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And so our third response is the one that they give. They rejoice. They realize this gift that's been given to them, and they rejoice. Their hearts, they bow down. That's what it is to worship. They bow their hearts before God, and they worship. We don't know if they sang any songs. We see what they did, though. They, they gave gifts, and the gifts are significant. Gold, incense. Some of your translations say frankincense and myrrh. Gold, probably pure gold, to symbolize the purity of the life of Christ, and that's why he was able to be the sacrifice for our sins. If nothing else, it's gold that's a gift fit for a king, and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Frankincense is the only kind of incense that's allowed to be burned on the altar as a sacrifice. Myrrh, myrrh is given as a gift for embalming bodies. What a strange gift to give a two-year-old child. But that child was born so that he would die. And he would die for you and he'd die for me. 
And if you've received Jesus Christ, then that should cause you to respond by rejoicing in the Savior that you have and a wonderful Savior that he is. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you only have two responses. You can reject Jesus like Herod did, but be honest with yourself that that's where you're at. Don't say because you believe a story, because you attended a service, because you're better than somebody else that's doing worse things than you, that you and God are okay. Just acknowledge that you reject Jesus because you don't want someone else in control of your life. You don't want God to reign. You want to be king. And maybe you don't have a palace, and maybe you don't have subjects, but you rule over your world, and you take control of your life, and you're rejecting Jesus Christ. But what some of you need to do is receive Jesus. And the great news is the Bible tells us how to do that. And not my words, let me tell you, so you know I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm going to read to you what the Bible says about receiving Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That means you'll be rescued. You'll be delivered from your sins. Some of you need to be forgiven, need to be rescued. And it says in verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, some of you might be hearing lies, might be telling yourself even, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm too bad, or first I've got to clean up my act. That just seems too easy to just believe and then confess. But this is what the Bible says, and in case you're thinking that, a few verses later, it says this in verse 13, For everyone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, Even though you haven't cleaned up your act yet, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's God's word, not mine. And so I just ask you this. Have you been saved? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received His forgiveness? And if not, do you want to do that tonight? You can, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. Here's how. I'm going to just ask everybody here tonight, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're watching online, if you do the same, and if you're in Theater 14, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm just going to lead you in a prayer that does exactly what that verse in Romans chapter 10 said. If you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, then will you acknowledge your sin? If you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, will you place your faith in his death and resurrection for your salvation? Will you ask him to be your Lord? Will you ask him to be your Savior? Confess with your mouth. And so I'm going to pray a prayer to lead us in in doing that. If you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior tonight, will you pray this prayer with me? And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to pray so you don't feel like I tricked you or did anything like that. In a moment, I'm just going to say, God, I acknowledge sin. And so I'm going to acknowledge sin before God. I'm going to say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Then I'm going to ask Jesus to be my Savior. And if you want to receive his forgiveness, if you want to receive Jesus Christ tonight, you're tired of rejecting him, and tonight's the night that you receive him, then will you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner. And there's nothing magical about the words that I'm saying. And so if you want to say in your own words, even as you're praying to God, maybe acknowledge specific sin or or just acknowledging your sin before Him. We're all sinners. It's not a great acknowledgement. We all sin, fall short of the glory of God. But just, dear God, I, I am a sinner. I acknowledge my sin before you. And if you believe in Jesus, then just pray these words. And I believe your son Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And what's significant is that you believe that in your heart. And will you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and ask him to be your Savior? And just pray this. Dear God, tonight, right now, I respond to you by asking your son Jesus to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I give him control. 
And if you just prayed that prayer with me, would you just have the courage to raise your hand and just, like you're telling God, God, I, I did that, and, and I'm going to look around, and the ushers are looking around, and the worship team, but no one else is looking around. Everybody else, your head's bowed, your eyes closed. Would you just pop your hand up in the air and just say, I just prayed that prayer. I just asked Jesus to be my Savior. I see people raising their hand in the front, multiple people. And even if you're watching online, you might be alone. Just making that acknowledgement. Just pop your hand up. I see people in the middle of the room. Raise your hand and if you're across the hall. That's the most significant decision you'll ever make in your life. And the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when that happens. It's one of the responses we give to Jesus. Angels wish they knew what just happened in your life. They'll never know it. Because when they rejected Jesus, they were cast out of heaven. And the ones that are there will never know what redemption is like. And so they rejoice when they see us turn to him. And Father, I pray, I pray for each one of us that are followers of yours. I pray that we would rejoice in you and what you've done for us. I pray for those that began a relationship with you tonight, that their hearts will be made new, that you would have them rejoice. We know what the Bible says. The Bible says that you've given them the rights to be called sons and daughters of yours, that they are your child, and there's nothing they can do to ever not be your child. God, thank you for tonight being such a significant Christmas for them. And God, I pray as we rejoice in you, that it will be significant for each one of us. In Jesus' name I pray.